Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show. Sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Woolsey. Well, hello and welcome to Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey, president of Wilsey Asset Management. Great to have you here on the Smart Investing Show. A lot of things to talk about in the economy and investing. Uh, we're going to start off the, the day talking about the GDP report came out for last year. We got some great information on that uh, for Q4 uh, and the entire year. Also, to talk about the PCE, which is personal consumption expenditures. Want to discuss that with you? That's inflation interest rates, and also, too, going to discuss the Federal Reserve balance sheet. A lot of news you hear on that, like, oh, things are terrible. And then when the Azozi is uh, Chase Wilsey. Chase, what do you got? Well, as always, excited to talk about the economy, but uh, also, too, we do break down the, the fundamentals, uh, valuation ratios, the balance sheet, growth rates, looking at these businesses that, you know, they, they've kind of been pretty prevalent in the news here. And three we got for you today. I mean, this one was a shocker. We're going to look here at Archer Daniels Midland. And it's not a very sexy company here, you know. They, they kind of make, I think, food food inputs, things like that, kind of more in the agricultural space. But they took a beating this week over some concerns with their CFO and and kind of having some issues with data. Their ticker symbol ADM. Also going to look at iRobot. They were in works with Amazon on, on getting acquired. It looks like that might be having some issues. So want to see if iRobot may be worth buying. And lastly, too, is 3M. 3M is one that, frankly, the stock has just not done well. But, I mean, a lot of their products are quite popular. So, excited to take a look at those three companies and, and give you our input on, you know, buy, sell, or hold, essentially. Yeah, we've got so many things to talk about. So, let's get started with the GDP report. Because I would say the GDP report was an extremely strong indicator that the economy is progressing in the right direction. While the growth number in Q4 of 3.3% was impressive compared to the estimate of 2% gain, I believe the inflation numbers are even more important. The PCE price index increased just 1.7% in the fourth quarter. And we're looking at the core PCE, which excludes food and energy. It increased just 2%. I believe this points to the possibility that barring any major shocks, inflation should continue to decline towards the Fed's 2% target on an annual basis as we progress through this year. When looking at the growth in the GDP, it was interesting to see that all components produced positive benefits for the report, with growth of 3.8% in goods spending and 2.4% in services spending. Overall, consumer spending grew 2.8% and added 1.9% to the headline number. And also too, I mean, very important, obviously, consumer spending is a large part of our economy. I think it's around 70% actually, but there are still other components. And, and the one we look at is the private investment. That grew 2.1% in the quarter and added 0.38% to the headline number. Now within private investment, I was happy to see a mild impact from the change in private inventories as it added just 0.07% after a large impact in Q3 when it added 1.27% to GDP. And I, I point this out because this component or having that change in private inventories, I'd say it kind of swings up and down. And if you have a huge build, all of a sudden it negatively impacts the report, you know, maybe 
one or two reports down the road. So kind of having a flat line on this reading, I, I think, is kind of beneficial, showing that the economy is kind of maintaining itself is what I'm going to say here. The other thing we look at, too, I was shocked by this. Trade added 0.43% to the headline numbers. Exports grew an impressive 6.3%. And then lastly, government spending rose 3.3%, which added 0.56% to the headline GDP number. That's the only one that I don't want to say I see it negative, but you know, it being largely positive isn't as bullish for the overall economy because we are, you know, a democracy. We are consumption based. We're not China, where everything is run by the government. We don't want to see too much growth in government spending. We'd rather have it come in the private sector, and that's where the strength's going to come. But you know, as I said, rising three point three percent. It's not an, like a huge difference maker at the end of the day. And, now. And she- Okay, Jessica. Yes, I was just going to say as, as well, I do believe the report does put the economy in a great spot as we progress through 2024 as the potential for that soft landing that we've talked about. It's looking more and more realistic. And we talked about this a lot last year, and we're still believing that we can't avoid that recession that people talked about last year. <laughs> I, I don't see a recession coming this year. And I think, I, I don't know, anybody says, oh, we're going to have a recession now because we've got a, a good time here where you got the. Uh, we believe interest rates coming down. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But I, I did want to circle back to you talked about the private inventories. Uh, that is very important to watch those inventories because you're right. They can really move the GDP a lot. Uh, obviously, if they're very low, they're going to have a rebuild. That could help. If they're too high, it's going to hurt the next quarter. Very important to watch these inventories. Yeah, and it's a subcomponent of that private investment sector. But I do want to keep a close eye on that because it is, I'd say, kind of one more of the volatile yeah. parts of the GDP. <clears throat> report. So seeing that kind of around flat, I, I, I was optimistic that, again, this year we, we shouldn't see any wild swings in it. I don't think GDP is going to grow at 4% this year, but I also don't think we're going to see it grow, you know, maybe even sub 1%. I think you could see somewhere around 2% GDP growth for 2024. And the other thing I want to bring out in the report too is uh, trade, uh, as you said, uh, added 0.43%. The headline number it grew at 6.3%. Pretty impressive there. Um, that's important because we hear a lot about the onshoring. And this is one reason why we're having a strong job market because a lot of these jobs are overseas, have come back to, to the U.S. here which could really help our exports. And you're going to hear concerns like, oh, the dollar's not as strong as it was. Well, that's a positive because our dollar's not that strong. It makes our exports less expensive for people to buy them, which can help our manufacturing here in the U.S. Oh, and by the way, if people have jobs manufacturing here, now they can also spend more money <laughs> to actually <laughs> yeah. drive the, the consumer part. And, and that's where it's so important. And, you know, we talk about these other components, but ultimately, again, that 70%, it's going to be driven by the consumer. And that's what's going to drive GDP the most. And you can talk about private investment, you can talk about the government, you can talk about trade. But frankly, if the consumer's not doing well, GDP's not going to do well. And Chase, I'm sure you remember like yeah, six, nine months ago, like, oh, it's going to be a terrible year. It's not going to be a good economy. You guys are wrong. We said no, based on all the money out there, based on the strong jobs market, we do not see a bad economy. And the numbers prove to be correct once again. Yeah, I mean, it, it's funny. I mean, you look at that GDP report and I was, you know, surprised at how strong it was. I, I I was expecting that we would see decent growth, but you know, the consumers remain resilient. People say we're going to have a bad holiday season. That didn't pan out. Right. People said last year we're going to have a recession. That obviously didn't pan out. You know, things are good. And I think 2024, things will remain. I, I say things are good. Things are okay. You know, yeah. that, that that's where I would phrase where the economy's at. It's not booming, but it's not busting. It, it's in a decent spot, and I think it'll continue to remain in a decent spot. And, and as I've said, if you have a job, 
and you're comfortable, you're not going to use that job, you're going to spend. And, and that's what happened is that people felt very comfortable with their jobs. And as long as we have that and they have money in the bank, uh, they will spend. You'll have a good economy. And I don't see that changing again for 2024. Here is what January. So we got 11 more months to go, but I think we'll have a good 2024. Let's move on to the PCE because more good news on the inflation front as a personal consumption expenditures price index, PCE, showed an annual increase of just 2.6% in the month of December. More importantly, core PCE which moves food and energy is the Fed's primary gauge, showed an annual increase of just 2.9%. Now, this was a decline from 3.2% in the month of November, and actually, I, I was pretty surprised by this. This was the lowest 12-month rate since March 2021. Now, this gives me even more confidence that we could come very close to the Fed's 2% target by the end of the year, and that our estimation for three to four rate hikes, I, I think it just remains likely. I believe as we exit the year, the talk around inflation in the Fed will no longer be as newsworthy as investors move on from the inflation concerns. And I, I wanted to point out here too, we mentioned the 2% GDP inflation numbers. You have to understand that's an annualized rate in December yeah. that occurred. So a little bit different than just kind of looking at where the year over year increase is. So they're analyzing the growth versus looking at the actual numbers. Now, what that tells me is, barring any major shocks, that as we get to the back part of this year, we could be at that 2% level as we saw the annualized rate in the GDP report. Now, the annualized rate that we're seeing here, or excuse me, the annual rate that we're seeing of 2.9%, I think that's going to continue to fall. You know, I think we could get around 2.3%, as we exit 2024. Yeah, and kind of moving on with that to uh, interest rates that will see asset management. We do expect to see the Federal Reserve to begin reducing interest rates with three, maybe four cuts starting around the middle of the year. I've heard some estimates as high as six, but I think those just too aggressive. At our firm, firm, we are value investors, and we think this will be a positive as the cost of capital could decline for the equities that we hold in our portfolio, which would lead to a nice investment return. Now, we've talked about this before, and if you're a growth investor, again, we stick to value, but there's that growth strategy. You might not experience the same type of return on equities. And actually looking back here, base this on when the Federal Reserve reduced interest rates in 2001, it did not help growth stocks go up in price, and they actually underperformed. So as always, be careful on those expensive growth stocks. They don't always perform as you may hope. And, and frankly, with the huge surge we saw in them last year, in a rising interest rate environment, I think that's kind of taken from the future, essentially. And people say, oh, well, interest rates go down. That generally benefits growth stocks. I'm sorry, you can't have it both ways. Interest <laughs> right. rates go up, interest rates go down. Growth stocks don't always go up. It's just not a reality when you're an investor. Hey, and I kind of wonder too, Chase, what if you took away where it's going to become old news, AI? And actually, there's a company, yeah. if it's, see if I can remember it, maybe you remember it. Uh, they, they mentioned AI, and their stock <laughs> actually went down. It, it happened uh, on Friday. And I forget who it was, and I said, gosh, they're the only company mentioned AI, and it goes down. Maybe that will become like, okay, that's old news. What do you got new for us? So, again, I think that's really boosted a lot of the tech stocks up. What do you do for an encore? Yeah, I mean, there's, again, not as much growth, and that's the problem is people are paying for growth at any price, essentially, and at some point that value that you get does matter. And, you know, the the argument of, well, the cost of capital coming down with lower interest rates, it, well, you don't care about what you're getting right. in the value, so it doesn't matter what the interest rate is. Where the value companies, we believe that'll be a big benefit to them. And, you know, you look at real estate companies, you look at, I'm going to say utilities, I mean, lower 
interest rates should really benefit, I'm going to say, those two sectors in particular, not to mention some of the other areas of value investing that we like. And Chase, I want to move on because a lot of times you hear in the media but like the, the negative, like, oh, the government is negative and they're on debt and the Federal Reserve. Uh, let's talk about the Federal Reserve balance sheets because the mainstream media loves to talk about all the negative news they can find but never seem to want to talk about positive news. I remember the Fed's balance sheet assets rising to nearly $9 trillion when they were at their high. They have been quietly reducing the assets on their balance sheet, and as of early January, they had fallen to $7.74 trillion, a reduction of nearly $2 trillion. Yeah, and, and when we actually compare it to January 2023, it's a decline of nearly $850 billion. I do believe the current pace and with the current economy by January 2025, perhaps we could see the assets on the Federal Reserve's balance sheet under $7 trillion. This is especially the case when you consider the Fed is currently allowing $60 billion of maturing treasuries and $35 billion of agency mortgage-backed securities to run off its balance sheet each month. I also want to point out for reference, before the pandemic, the Fed's balance sheet stood around $4 trillion. And this is another one that I see moving the positive direction. And you won't hear about it. It's not going to make the headline news, but it shows it's a positive that is very quietly getting better for the Federal Reserve. And this is important because we're not done forever. We're going to have slowdowns in the economy in years to come. This is when you're going to strengthen that balance sheet by reducing your assets so they can use them later on. Well, it's kind of the whole concept of, you know, you, you got to reload your bullets essentially. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that spike in the Fed's balance sheet, that's what pressured long-term rates so low because the Fed's going in, they're buying, you know, treasuries, they're buying the mortgage-backed securities. Those are pushing rates lower because the demand is higher. Now we're in what's called quantitative tightening where they're not in the market buying them anymore. So it's more of a true market of where those interest rates will be. Now at some point, I do believe maybe the rumors kind of beginning of 2025, I I think that's probably where the Fed would anticipate looking at reining in that runoff that it's currently allowing to have if long-term interest rates kind of settle. And I I think that long-term rates, I think they are going to be in that current range of, you know, I've said three and a half to four percent, four and a half percent, excuse me, three and a half to four and a half percent on like a a 10 year treasury, I think is a very normal level that I think should be a a good target for the Federal Reserve longer term. And and this is why in the Smart Investing Show, if you tune in on a regular basis by the radio, by podcast, also the newsletter, get the newsletter, we keep informed of what's going on so you do become a smarter investor. Speaking of the newsletter, let's uh, promote that. Uh, Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. Again, that's smartinvesting2000.com. Sign up for the free newsletter. And Chase, I just remember we got a workshop coming up on February 8th at 6 o'clock in uh, Scripps Ranch at our office there. And, you know, if you like what you hear, and we, we do very common sense investing. If it makes sense that when things go down, they go on sale, you buy them, that's what we do. And at this workshop, we'll show you why value investing works best long term why financial analysis can reduce your emotional roller coaster, and how we build portfolios for all kinds of markets. Thursday, February it's February 8th at 6 o'clock. Sign up at smartinvesting2000.com. Again, that's smartinvesting2000.com. You can also call the office, speak with Allison, 858-224-0004. Again, that's 858-224-0004. Sitting is limited. Uh, so sign up now. You'll enjoy it. And we, we, we've done these workshops for, gosh, over 20 years. And I have never had anybody come up and say afterwards, I didn't learn anything. 
Now, it, it is not designed, it's designed to really educate you. We're not there to sell you and tell you how great we are. We show you what we do uh, in detail. Yeah, it, it's really kind of a little bit more in depth than what we we're able to cover in the radio show when we go over companies. And, and we actually just show you everything that we look at when we are looking at buying a, a business, equity, stock, right. whatever you want to call it there. That's the point of the workshop there is to educate you on our process uh, of how we do things. And I do want to point out, it's not an accounting class. It's an no. investment class. So, yeah. Investment yeah. workshop. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. I, I don't want to bore people to death, but you know, I, I can't sit there and go over all the details of what we're looking at when we're actually reading reports and right. stuff. We, we give you the concepts so you understand investing better. All right. Speaking of uh, concepts, let's talk to our financial planner, our CFP, Harrison Johnson. Harrison, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, guys. How are you doing? Good, good. I see today we're talking about rule changes for inherited IRAs. Does nothing ever stay the same? Why does everything got to change all the time? Unfortunately not. So <laughs> the, the SECURE Act passed in 2019, but one of the major provisions has not been enforced until now. So beginning in 2020, beneficiaries who inherit a retirement account can no longer stretch distributions out over their life expectancy and instead must deplete that account within 10 years. So for accounts with pre-tax funds like traditional IRAs, this can result in a large amount of additional taxable income. Now, this has been in the case, this has been the case since 2020, but now in situations where the original account old owner was old enough to be taking their own required minimum distributions, meaning they were in their 70s or older when they died, which will be most people, the inheriting beneficiary must now also take a required distribution each year starting in 2024 in addition to depleting that account within 10 years. This beneficiary RMD has not been enforced in previous years, 2020 through 2023, due to the lack of clarity surrounding this rule, but that grace period is now over. So there's a bunch of people out there who have inherited retirement accounts in the last four years and they haven't done anything with them. However, if they don't take their distributions going forward, they will be subject to a 25% penalty. So people with inherited IRAs need to make sure that they take that distribution this year and going forward and also be prepared for the tax impact of it because it will uh, be reportable as income. Keep in mind, this applies to non-spouse beneficiaries who inherited accounts in 2020 or later. For accounts that were inherited before 2020, beneficiaries will see no change and they can continue to stretch those distributions out over their life expectancy. Also, spousal beneficiaries may still treat retirement accounts as their own and they're not subject to any distribution rules. So this is really going to apply uh, most commonly for adult adult children who inherit IRAs from their parents. And, and, and can you just kind of, I mean, because the, the big sticker here is the inheriting beneficiary now must also take a required minimum distribution each year. So, I mean, again, this is where it got confusing because before you didn't really have to do that. Uh, can you kind of explain that again for people? Because that, that was a confusing part when you talk about that. It is, and it's you know it's important to um, be aware of this change. So if you're inheriting a retirement account, um, again, this is most commonly with adult children after their parent passes away. So after the Secure Act passed a couple years ago, people who inherit IRAs have to deplete that account within 10 years, and that's been the only rule. However, 
there is now this new additional rule that's being enforced now, which says if the person you got that account from was taking RMDs, meaning they're in their 70s or older, which again is going to be most people who pass away with retirement accounts, if they were taking the RMDs, then the beneficiary who inherits that account, so this adult child, must also take a distribution every single year going forward, and that account needs to be fully depleted within 10 years. So you have your 10-year rule, and you also have an annual required distribution that you are subject to. And if you miss any of those, there's a 25% penalty on whatever you don't take that you're supposed to, in addition to then having to take it anyway and having it be taxable. Is this RMD, I, I presume, you know, if you're the person you inherited the RM, uh, IRA from is like 95, you're not going to have to take on their RMD. It would still be a stretched out RMD essentially based off of your age. Is that kind of what they're looking at? Basically, yes. So if you are younger, and I, I can say younger, you know, if you're in your 50s or even 60s, the annual distribution that you have to take isn't going to be huge. Um, so the main thing is going to be watching out for that 10 years. But, you know, it could be five, ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 where if you don't do it and then have a 25% penalty, that's, you know, substantial. It could be a few thousand dollars. So um, it is based on the beneficiary's life expectancy. So the age of the person who died doesn't necessarily matter just as long as they're, they are taking their RMDs, they're old enough to. Um, that beneficiary is now going to you know, have to take some amount of distribution, which more than likely they should really should be looking at that anyway, because again, if you're still subject to this 10-year rule, in addition to this RMD rule, um, you don't want to wait until year 10 before you withdraw everything, because then you could have a really big lump sum of income all in one year. You most likely will want to spread that out over time based on what your other income is. But again, starting this year, 2024, these extra required distributions are going to come into play. And I think a lot of people aren't prepared for that because they haven't had to worry about it for the last four years. Yeah, it's kind of a, a bummer because I know we talked about it before when the rule was kind of unclear. It's like, well, let's say you inherit it and you're retiring in two years. It's like, well, I don't take any income the first two years and then kind of deplete it over eight. But now you have to take something even while you're working, which means you're going to pay more taxes. I, I see a lot of errors going to oh, be made here. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think so. It's been nice that there's been this four-year grace period, but now I think there's a lot of people that kind of forgot about it or aren't aware of it, and so there's there's probably going to be a lot of penalties going around. So, you know, inherited beneficiaries need to be aware of this. Great. Well, Harrison, thank you very much. We appreciate that, and uh, we'll see you on Monday. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you Monday. Okay. Again, as Harrison Johnson. He is our financial planner. He's a CFP uh, at Wills Asset Management. If you'd like a free consultation with him, give him a call at the office, 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Or visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. Again, that's smartinvesting2000.com. And uh, you can get that free consultation with him. Again, he is a fee-based planner. He is not going to try to sell you any products. Uh, it's strictly fee-based, so he is unbiased to do the best financial plan for you. Again, Harrison Johnson at our website, smartinvesting2000.com. And he actually does speak at our workshop coming up on Thursday, February 6th at 6 o'clock in Scripps Ranch. If you're unhappy with your returns in your portfolio, 
you're afraid to invest these days because, oh my gosh, it's presidential election year, whatever it may be. Uh, maybe you're just so confused you don't know what to do. If you don't find out how I've been investing successfully for over 40 years and how we use fundamental analysis to build a strong portfolio, this workshop's for you. Sign up at our website, smartinvesting2000.com. Again, that's smartinvesting2000.com. And that is Thursday, February 8th at 6 o'clock in Scripps Ranch. Well, Chase, let's move on to the companies because I think you said the first one up was... Uh, Archer Daniels Midland. Yes, okay. And I, I might have said AMD, but it, it's it's ADM. <laughs> you know what? I, that, that'd be an easy mistake to make, yeah. uh, wouldn't it be? Yeah. So, so let's talk about uh, ADM, Archer Daniels Midland. That's her symbol, ADM. Uh, they're in the industry of farm products. Uh, we see float is very low, 1.2%. Uh, 81% institutional owned, nice P.E. ratio here, 7.2, half the industry at 15.9, price to sales 0.3, below the industry at 0.4, price to tangible book value 1.5, well below the industry at 9.2, and price to cash flow 14.1 versus 9.3, that's not good, that should be below the industry, and there is no peg ratio here. Now, we do see the earnings uh, year over year were down 6.7%, but the whole industry well, that was down 38%. Sales for Archer Daniels Midland were down 4.6%. And also, here again, the industry is down 196 So something going on with this, this industry here, you understand that more. Five-year growth rate, not looking good, a negative 6.6%. Industry, a negative two. They do pay a dividend, now 3.5%, only use 24% of the earnings to pay that out. Look at the balance sheet. We got a current ratio of 1.7. Not quite as good as the industry at 2.2, but I'm okay with a current ratio of 1.7. Debt to equity, 0.4 versus 0.6. That's a positive. Net profit margin, uh, Archer Daniels Midland, 4.1. Now, not quite double the industry at 2.6. And return on equity is 15.6 versus 10. And we like to see a ROE above 15%. Chase, what about the numbers going forward? Yeah, so first, kind of going through this company a little bit, just because I'm uh, trying to get a grasp of, of what they do exactly. And it, it, frankly, I, I'd want to spend more time on, on their business because the, the summary for it says they procure, transport, store, process, and merchandise agricultural commodities, products, and ingredients in the U.S., Switzerland, Cayman Island, Brazil, Mexico, Canada, U.K., and internationally. Uh, have three segments, ag services and oil seeds, carbohydrate solutions and nutrition. I went on their website. I saw that they have human, pet, and animal nutrition. So, I mean, they have a bunch of different things here in, in you know, frankly, the agricultural space, it looks like. But I want to know who they supply to, you know, kind of what their products are used for. What do they go into? I mean, there's a lot of questions I would have about this. I, I like the space that they're in because it's, I'm going to say simplistic, but what they do is not simplistic yes, at the end right. of the day. So you'd have to dive down deep into it. And the other thing, too, is I, I got to bring up here, you know, the, the stock fell like 30% earlier in the week over concerns regarding a probe of their accounting practices in its nutrition segment. And the CFO was actually placed on leave. I mean, it, it was devastating to the stock that day, essentially. Now, the company came out and said that they should be done with the probe before the end of next month. So, I mean, there's, I'm going to say some question marks here that as an investor, you got to dive down into to make sure you're not buying a company that all of a sudden kind of blindsides you in a, a few months from now. The other thing, too, just kind of looking at it, I want to go forward, but I know we're going to take a break here shortly, so I'm, I'm going to hold off on that target sell price so it can actually give those numbers for you. But, uh, you know, Archer Daniels Midland, I mean, it, 
it's a little complicated, but we'll look at the valuation, see, see what those numbers look like, see if it may be worth the risk and the research. I'd say it's very complicated, but we'll come back and <laughs> talk more about that. Uh, we'll take a quick break here. When we come back, uh, we'll be looking at Archdale's Midland, plus, uh, what was the other one? Uh, 3 iRobot. iRobot. So we got a lot to, say, to look at, so stay with us. We'll be right back. But I know I'm going to change. Alrighty, welcome back to Smart Investing Show. When we left off, uh, Chase, you're talking about the numbers going forward for Archer Daniels Midland. So let's pick up on that and see what they look like uh, in the future. Yeah, so I, I mean, I talked about that that fall they had the other day uh, regarding that that probe. But current price after I'm going to say all the chaos, it's now fifty two dollars and five cents. I, I see the fifty two week low here. That was fifty dollars and seventy two cents, and the high. I mean, yeah, eighty seven dollars and thirty cents. I mean, you go down nearly thirty percent in a day. It's gonna, <laughs> that's going to wipe off the price pretty pretty large there. But what we do now, we go forward. We go out to let's see. They do report on a calendar year, so we got to December two thousand twenty four. I see estimated earnings per share here. $5.92. I mean, it does give us a target sell price of $98.27. Trades at a forward PE of, you know, around 8.6, 8.7 times. I mean, it, it's the valuations of this company are very, very strong, I'd say, after the fall in the stock price. I will point out, though, it looks like in 2023, earnings are estimated to fall 10.3%. 2024, they're estimated to fall again around 16%. So what's going on with the business where they've had now two consecutive years of earnings decline? You'd have to understand that. And the other big question, can you trust the numbers? <laughs> right. And that's going to say, sometimes with accounting numbers, you've got to be very careful because it could be the tip of the iceberg and you think that's fine. It's really very hard to determine if this is a good buy because you don't know yet. And and I do see that the earnings over the last, what, nine days are down about 10% going forward. They were like 657. I think you said now they're 592 or something. Kind of interesting to see what will happen for 2025, but there's a lot of question marks and the numbers can look great here. But the question is, and it wasn't a bad accounting error. It wasn't like, oh, you know, they're cooking the book, but it still, it puts that doubt in your mind. So while it looks like a good buy now, I'd, I'd say you have to be patient. And I will say as well, uh, if I was looking at this, because I, I think I'd almost say it's worth watching. I, I wouldn't know if I'd launch a full research, research investigation in this company just yet. But it, I, I'd want to know the nutrition business because that's what they're evaluating. How much of the nutrition business does it occupy of the whole company? Because if it's like, let's say 5% of the company, it's like, well, that was an overreaction to fall 30% if it's only 5% of the overall business. Right. So, I mean, that's a big question I would have. Frankly, as I said, I would put on my watch list and I would probably wait for them to report earnings just to see what's going on. You might miss it, but I'd rather miss it than buy it and have it drop another 30%. And you're like, oh my gosh, what happened? Yeah. There's yeah. just too much uncertainty for me right now. It's one of those things where it looks like a buy, but don't move too quickly because you could burn yourself and like, ah. Now I could have got it up 40. I think you said it was 52, right? Uh, 5205, yeah, yeah. Yeah, So, well, let's move on here because uh, a lot of people think, you know, robotics is the way to go and this is a new industry and you got to get into it. Well, it wasn't so good for iRobot, uh, which is uh, a robotic company. And you may recognize the name. They do those, what are they called, the, the vacuum? Roomba. Roombas, the Roomba. Roomba, is it Roomba or Rumba? 
think it's Roomba. Roomba. I think it's Roomba. So they are in the industry of furnishing fixtures and appliances. Uh, wow, 14.2% short on the float there. So there is some concern this is going to fall further. Uh, 83% institutional owned. They do not have any earnings going forward, or actually in the past, uh, I'm sorry, in the past, which means there's no P.E. ratio. Industry's at 34.3. And this is a high-growth industry, so that could make the changes here. Price of sales, 0.5 versus 0.7. Price to tangible book value, 6.3 versus 34.6. And price of cash flow, very expensive, 52 versus 8. And there is no peg ratio for iRobot. No earnings over the last year. Sales, gosh, I thought it'd be up, but they're down 20.5%. Industry was only down 11%. Uh, they do not pay a dividend. Looking at the financial strength, uh, based on the balance sheet, current ratio 1.7. That is better than the industry at 1.5. Debt to equity 0.9 versus 1.8. That's very important because many times with, with these high growth companies, their debt is very high because trying to build the business. Well, 0.9 is not bad at all. Net profit margin is a negative 34.6% versus a positive two. For every dollar they bring in, they lose about 35 cents on that dollar. Return on equity, wow, a negative 128. Return on invested capital, negative 66.2. So in the past, they've got some issues here. I'm curious what you have to say going forward on the numbers here, Chase. Well, I did want to say too, obviously we talked about Roomba, but they also have, let's see, uh, also a, a Brava, <laughs> I haven't heard of this, but automatic floor mopping robot. Then they also have uh, handheld vacuums. They also do have, let's see, root robots to help children learn how to code and create three a mobile robot platform that offers an opportunity for educators, developers, and high school and college students to, pro to program behaviors, sounds, movements, and add additional electronics as well as cells, filters, and fabric covers. So, I mean, they have, I'm going to say, household appliances and <laughs> some other <laughs> stuff here too. So they're kind of a little bit all over the map, I would say. Now, current price for iRobot, their ticker symbol IRBT, it's $16.99. And this is what you're talking about here. I'm going to say the 52-week low first year, $15.77. The high, $51.49. So, I mean, this stock has really just been beaten down pretty good. And wow, I look back here. At one point in 2021, I mean, they were above $130 a share. Oh, wow. I mean, they, they've really come down and looks like going all the way back. I mean, this is really the lowest they've been. I mean, over the last 10 years, it looks like they came out February 17th, 2020, 2014 may have been when they IPO'd. Let's see, it's kind of looking at the chart here. And oh, no, it goes back even further. But yeah, 2006, they were around $30 a share. So, I mean, this is like historical lows yes. for iRobot. And this is why you don't invest in like, oh, robots are the way to go. I'll pay $100 for this stock. Where's that now, you said? sixteen ninety nine. dollars and, and the big thing that's really catapulted them lower was Amazon was actually mm -hmm. going to acquire iRobot for $61 a share, but then the EU kind of came in and blocked it. And this is why we always tell people, don't buy a stock just because it may get acquired. Be like, oh, well, you know, it's 5% off from the, the transaction price. I can do a little arbitrage here. You don't want to do that arbitrage with a bad company yeah. because that deal falls through. Now you're stuck with iRobot at $16.99 a share. And you go out to December 2024, they're still estimated to lose $3.98. So they're still not estimated to make any money. I mean, this is a stock that, you know, it, wow, it's a great deal because it's fallen. But frankly, I, I don't even think the value still there. And how have they been around this long and still not able to make a profit? I mean, those Rumba, those, those vacuums, I remember having one years ago. 
But the thing is, this is the hard part about investing. You cannot gamble on stuff like this because you can lose. And and I guess it is possible. I mean, uh, Microsoft did it with uh, when they were buying. What was that company they bought? Uh, the game company, uh, Activision Blizzard. Activision, yeah, uh, they went back to the EU and they got it turned around. Possible that could happen here. But I, I also think, too, this is such a small thing for Amazon. They may say, okay, fine, we're not going to do it. Because it's like with uh, Activision, that was a big thing for Microsoft. I, I don't think Amazon really cares if they get this or not. It's probably such a small number. Well, and, and frankly, they might have saved themselves. Like, you look at it, they were going to buy them at 61 a share. Now it's like, it's at 16? Like, yeah. Maybe. <laughs> now, is it really worth that big of a premium? I, I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, one good thing, they don't have a lot of debt, so they can they can stay in the game. But, you know, it just shows you that, yes, robots are the way of the future, maybe, but it's way, way in the future, so I would not be gambling on robotics right now. Yeah, and especially this robotics. I mean, it, it, there's, I think, other ways to invest in companies that have robotics. This one with the household appliances, I, I just don't think, frankly, it's making any money, so it's not yeah. worth investing. And it kind of surprised me, too, because it, it wouldn't be nice to have no housekeeper, your wife didn't have to do the cleaning, it's all done by robotics, but I think that's a ways down the road. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> or you have to do the cleaning, you know? <laughs> I'm not gonna clean, I don't like cleaning. I like eating, but I don't wanna clean. <laughs> all right, uh, let's talk about uh, real estate and mortgages, and for that we turn to our mortgage expert, Robert Behick from Countywide Mortgage Lending. Robert, uh, you with us? Good morning, gentlemen. How, how you doing? Doing well. Well, good. Well, I know today this this is something very interesting. I just it's funny. I just talked to a potential client yesterday. He's coming in on Monday. You're talking about today protecting yourself in a divorce if you own a home. What are you talking about here? It's because of the big uh, boom of real estate that was bought in the 2020 and 2021 with the low low interest rates. Now, some of those folks are unfortunately getting divorced. And what's happened is one spouse will end up with the house and they want to keep the mortgage that they have. Understandable. Makes sense. But the problem yeah. is the person that's, that's not getting it is uh, responsible for it still also. And so they can't buy a home themselves. And not every attorney understands that. Some do. And uh, so we just had a client that came to us, wanted to buy a house, made an offer, and was stunned to find out because the judge awarded it to his wife, and she's paying the bill, that he was still responsible for the loan. So, so he's trying to get another house, and he couldn't qualify because he still was on the other one that he got divorced from his wife? Is that what you're saying? That's exactly what I'm saying. Oh, man, that's terrible. I mean, especially if the, the divorce didn't go well. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> I mean, you gotta, so so how, what do you do on this? And I know I get it because people want to keep that low mortgage, but, but what do you do here, Robert? So first of all, it starts with a conversation. And there needs to be, uh, they need to talk about this before the, the MSA, the marriage settlement agreement's done. There are ways to deal with it ahead of time, but every case is different. And so it's just sort of like financial planning. When you're going through a divorce, you've got to be able to talk about all these different options and not everybody understands them. Can you kind of tease us a little bit? I know it's a complicated you know, situation here, but I mean, what can you do beforehand? Because you want to keep that mortgage. 
what can someone do? In a lot of, yeah. uh, and a lot of times they can't. It really depends on the income level of the person who's leaving and how much of their spousal support or child support or alimony, rather, is going towards the other person to be able to go through the, the math to see, well, hey, guys, if you're going to keep house at 2.5%, um, I may not be able to pay you as much because here's what rates are today for me to buy a house. Right. And that that's part of a negotiation. That's interesting, yeah, because a lot of times I know people just try and split the assets, but it, it it's always comes down to cash flows and things like that. And I, I think that's such a great point to bring up that a lot of times people just will bypass the interest rate. It's like, oh, well, I got the house. And it's like, well, yeah, but you got a house with a... <laughs> Three percent mortgage, <laughs> so it's worth I'd say even more because the cash flow that that you have on it is so much better than what you could get that house at now with a much higher mortgage. You completely understand, and most folks don't, unfortunately. And then they get to this point, and this poor person now is yeah, she's not going to refinance that house. No, she 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 can't. She can't afford to do it by herself. So. Uh, you know, do they go back at it? I mean, what are the options? The reality is going to be renting for a while. Well, you can get a cosigner. And, and Robert, you've been in business now for what over thirty years. I mean, and I know you built re- thirty-five years. You built relationships with your clients over time. Do they think? And, and again, they've been dealing with you for about two, three houses from you, dealing with you for twenty, thirty years. Do they think to call you when they're going through a divorce? Some do, some wow. don't. We try to stay in touch with them on a quarterly basis, and we bring up these things just as conversations because it may not be them, but it may be somebody they know. And so we're we're an asset to be able to help people figure things out. And Robert, somebody going through a divorce right now, they hear you on the show. Is it if they gave you a cause or anything you can do to help guide them? Absolutely. Yeah, we will go through the numbers for them free of charge mm-hmm. and at least be able to give them some ideas of some ways they might be able to handle it. Good, good. Well, Robert, uh, you've been doing this again, you said, for 35 years. Uh, you're in the top 1% producing loan officers in the country, two times recipient of the Better Business Bureau's Torch Awards for Ethics and Business. You're the man to call, so we got to call you. They got to call you. We call you. We talk to you every week, but uh, they got to call you, what, 760-443-3821. So you're there to answer the phone. Is that your, your cell phone, I think you said? That's, that's my cell phone. Wow. That- I absolutely... Seven six zero four four three thirty eight twenty one. We answer the phone. And, and what's the website they can go to to see more information about you? Countywidemtg.com. Great. Countywidemtg.com. Great. Well, Robert, thank you very much. We'll talk more next week, and uh, hopefully, you can save some people through divorce because that would be terrible to go through that. Gosh. It is. Enjoy your weekend, guys. <laughs> you do. Thank you. Bye bye. All righty. Well, well, thanks again to Robert B. Hick from Countywide Mortgage for joining us. And, and Countywide Mortgage Lending is a division of Golden Empire Mortgage, Inc., NMLS number 1104585, licensed by the Department of Financial Protection and Innovation under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. Countywide Mortgage Lending is an equal housing lender and proud member of the BBB there. And I, I did want to say real quick, and it sucks, you know, divorce obviously <laughs> sucks. It, it is costly. When I see this a lot of times, unless you work out that deal, you have to understand that low interest rate. I don't think rates are going back to 3% anytime soon is such a great benefit. Don't give that up nilly-willy. <laughs> 
frankly, many times the, the easiest thing to do is just sell the house. And it sucks, and it's going to probably cost you money, right. but it's such a hard asset to split and divide fairly unless you understand the leverage that that person keeping the house gets. And I think, too, that when you're going through this, one of your negotiations could be, well, look, you're getting this house with this mortgage at 3%. Um, I shouldn't have to pay you as much alimony or whatever because of that, because if you had to go out and replace that, it would cost you so much more. So that should be a negotiating tactic that they can use. Uh, and I know divorce is tough, and, and but still it's something that you have to kind of think about. Yeah, you got to look at the. A lot of times people split the assets, but you also have to look at the cash flow and, and like I was saying, with the interest rate. I mean, it, it, it's a whole lot more complicated. And as Robert said, sometimes attorneys don't grasp it either. Yeah. So that's kind of where it's nice to have a mortgage expert there to kind of help you. Great. All right. Uh, before we go back to the companies here, let's talk about the, the workshop because, again, it's, it's only like two weeks away. It's uh, Thursday, February 8th at 6 o'clock in the Scripps Ranch office. Learn why we are value investors. And I've been doing this for 40 years. It's always made sense to you. We'll show you why. The key to successful long-term investing and our investment philosophy, philosophy exactly how we invest and manage our money at Wilson Management. And by the way, our money, my money, Chase's money, is managed the same as our clients. Workshop again is Thursday, February 8th at 6 p.m. in Scripps Ranch. To register, go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. Again, that's smartinvesting2000.com. All right, so where do we leave off here, Chase? We were done with we, iRobot, I think we were yeah, done with Yeah, we, we finished iRobot. So the, the last company we want to talk about here today is, is 3M, and then no surprise, their ticker, ticker symbol there, 3M's, M-M-M. And, and they've gone through, I, I want to say, has it been three three lawsuits? I think one's been settled so far. You, you know, that's one thing, again, that I'd really have to understand is those lawsuits where they stand if I held this stock. Because I, I do believe you're right. I think one is settled. There was the Forever Chemicals and then also to the... Um, air, air for the... For, what is it? What are those called? Airplug, earplugs, earplugs Air 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 for the veterans, oh right? For, for military, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I thought. Wait, I said that complicated. <laughs> Airplugs. Yeah. So you know, I, I know that those were, I think, the two major ones. There may have been a third, but I, I right. want to understand those two. Those were the ones that, uh, frankly, were potentially billions of dollars worth of of costs. Yeah, you know, like I like kind of talk about that because I was in the army and I remember we got issued earplugs. I don't think they were three M or not. But a lot of times, guys, like, they would fall out and, you know, <laughs> I mean, so how can 3M be responsible if you didn't put them back in? I I, I don't know. It's, it's going to be some... you said not everybody does this, but somebody's like, I'm not wearing them. Oh, yeah. And then it's like, how can you prove it? Hey, what would you say, Chase? I didn't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and from my age, I think my hearing is pretty good. But, yeah, I mean, a lot of times we just didn't wear them. And, and actually, when you went to war, I talked to other guys that were in – you know, Vietnam and so forth, and they said, yeah, you didn't say, wait, stop, wait, I got to put my earplugs in before I start shooting here. So we'll, we'll see how that turns out. Uh, and again, it's just a shame. But look at the numbers. This could be, because I think the high price, Chase will give us to us, but the high price, I think, was over 200 on 3M. They're in the conglomerate industry. Only 1.3% shares are short, so they don't think these lawsuits are going to go very, very badly, because if that was the case, there'd be a lot more shorts shorting the stock. Institutional ownership is 66%. Uh, no P.E. ratio, which means they have no earnings over the last 12 months. The industry is at 13.3. Price to sales checks in at 1.6 versus 0.6. Price to book value, 10.9 versus 1.1. That's very expensive. And price to cash flow does look okay, 8 versus 7.4. 
peg ratio, which is your price earnings divided by growth, tells you how much you're paying for the growth of the company, lower the better, 2.5 versus 57. So that's a positive there. Uh, no earnings over the last uh, 12 months. Whole industry was down, conglomerates down 47%. Sales for 3M down 4.3%. The industry was up 8%. Wow. Listen to this dividend yield, 6.3%. Now, there's no payout ratio because they don't have any earnings, but you can look at the cash flow and other potentials going forward to see if they can maintain that dividend. And I think I read somewhere, too, that, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, Chase, I think for 65 years, they've had consecutive increases in the dividends. Do you remember me telling you that? I, yeah, I, I know it was something crazy. It was yeah, a 65 long, years, long, long, time. long, long time. Uh, we, we do see that uh, on the balance sheet, current ratio 1.1 versus 1.4, that is good. Debt to equity, unfortunately, 3.6 versus 1.2. Now you gotta dig into that because on the surface that looks terrible, but you'd have to look at the balance sheet to see what the debt really is, what's going on with the equity, because that would be a, a deal killer if that really is a bad number there. Net profit margin, a negative 22.6 versus a positive 4.9. Return on equity, a negative 158 versus a positive 11.1. Chase, what do you got on the numbers going forward here? Yeah, I'm, I'm just kind of going down to a lot of different places, honestly, right now, because 3M just does so many different things as well. And, and one thing I pointed out, I think it was like last year or two years ago, was I was kind of interested in this company. We never ended up buying it. We didn't really do much more research, but I was saying that they really benefited from COVID because yeah. of all the masks that they had, it helped. And I think that the stock price did well, but then it, obviously that subsided. And I, I think now they're still trying to find that base essentially, but the problem is they're in healthcare. Obviously they do the, the post-it notes. A lot of people don't realize that. They have the scotch tape. I mean, they have a bunch of different kind of assets in, in different categories, healthcare. I saw automotive, industrial. I mean, they do a lot of different things. So, I, I mean, it's hard to kind of wrap your arms around this business. Uh, to really understand it, which as an investor, you got to do that before you buy it. I did see as well that the stock fell, it looks like 11% this past week uh, after reporting earnings. They did talk about those two lawsuits. It, it appears based off just this brief reading, it, it doesn't look like they have been resolved because they said they have worked to resolve litigation over products such as earplugs, earplugs, excuse me, not earplugs, earplugs <laughs> and those forever chemicals. Also, too, they did talk about a, a healthcare spin. So I wonder if they are going to start spinning out businesses, which I don't know could be beneficial for stockholders. Um, like we saw with GE, you know, when they started spinning out different businesses, it was beneficial. So I mean, there's a lot of moving parts with this business. It's very complicated, I would say, on the the, the top level here. And I know why you keep saying earplugs because you get used to saying. AirPods. I mean, the you Maybe. know. So, so uh, I don't even have AirPods. <laughs> I know, but, but I mean, it's just like it, it, the old earplugs. That's all you had. Now you got everything's air and everything yeah. else. So that, that's why you get confused. I, I did look at the balance sheet real quickly here, and 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 something's happened from March twenty third to September twenty third. Their equity back in March two thousand twenty third was fifteen point three billion dollars. It's now fallen to four point six billion. And I wonder if they paid out a lot of money in the, in the lawsuit. I would assume that was uninsured, but you'd have to dig deeper. The other thing I, I didn't like about 3M, unfortunately, and be honest, I was very excited to look at this company because this is the type of business that we want. It's a good cash flow business. Uh, I, I do kind of wonder, you know, I think Post-it notes are still used a lot, even though lots on the computer. I mean, they're all over our office, I know. We, we see them all the time. But when I looked at their, their goodwill, which is an intangible asset, um, it was pretty high. I mean, the goodwill was $12.7 billion. And again, that's like three times the equity. Intangible assets were $4.3 billion. And what could happen, 
that these assets get written down, which would destroy your equity. So I want to like 3M. I, I, I want to say, yes, this could be one to invest in. There's just too many uncertainties for me that I don't feel comfortable. Yeah, and let me give the numbers too on 3M. Oh, you've well. numbers yet? Oh, we've been no, talking I, about that. I've been talking about the, just the business <laughs> overall. But yeah, the current price for 3M, $95.99. And this is where it's crazy. Over the last 10 years, it's down 25%. The peak was, gosh, a little bit over. It looks like $250 back in 2018. Uh, is when it kind of hit it, its all-time high, it appears. Uh, but I look, even look at the 52-week range, uh, 85.35 was the low, and then the high was $120.85. Now we go forward, since they did report those earnings, we got to December 2025, I do see estimated earnings per share here of $10.33. It gives us a target sell price of $171.48. So again, the value is here with 3M. It's, I'm just going to say a very complicated business. It, it's going to take a lot of understanding. And I don't know, I, I look at it and say, you know, could it be like GE a couple years ago? Because when GE was going through all of its problems, at some point we looked at it and said, yeah, I mean, the value is kind of there with the business. Right. And sure enough, GE has turned around, gone higher. I, I think they, they got a good CEO in Larry Culp. I don't know much about 3M and their their management team. Uh, also, to their plans to maybe simplify the business. I think that's why GE has turned around, is they have tried to kind of simplify and, and segregate those businesses into different industries. I, I don't know if that's a plan at 3M, but that could benefit the stock going forward just to simplify things. I, I think the conglomerates are just too confusing for investors, and it, it appears that people don't like to invest in the conglomerates anymore. And also, too, I want to point out, because we, we, we kind of emphasize the dividend over 6%, 65 consecutive years. This is why you don't want to invest in a company just because of the dividend. And, and again, they, they could turn all this around. They could win the lawsuit. Everything's fine. But there's just so many things. And, you, you know, it's funny. In our portfolio, it's a concentrated portfolio. We generally hold about 15 to 18 positions in the portfolio. We're very selective when we buy a business or invest in a business in equity of stock. Um, this is one that we look at so many different ones. And they've got to be, well, for us, they, they almost have to be perfect because you just don't want to pick something and like, and even then, we, we still tell people we're wrong a third of the time, but you want to try to eliminate your losses by getting sucked into that beautiful dividend because there's a lot of weakness with the high intangibles, with the uh, the, the, the debt that we have, the lawsuit out there. there there's some problems with this company. Yeah, and, and even with that, though, I, I would say I'm still intrigued in this business. It doesn't mean don't invest in it. It just means there's a lot more reading and a lot more research on this company you would have to do to understand it. And frankly, the big question mark is the lawsuit. And, right. you know, you want to understand the potential liabilities because if that's not resolved and all of a sudden that lawsuit's more costly, now guess what? Now that dividend streak of, you know, we'll call it again 60 years or whatever we said, they're probably going to have to cut that dividend. That streak is over. And now that leads the income investors to leave. I mean, it could cause a lot of problems. So I would want to understand the lawsuit really in a lot of detail or those two lawsuits because that could really hinder 3M's ability going forward to pay the dividend and to, to really have a beneficial stock price. And I did look at their cash flow from operations uh, for the September quarter. It's like $1.9 billion. So they, they've got the cash flow. But I, but not if they lose in the lawsuit. Well, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and that's why, I mean, I, I know you seem to feel pretty comfortable with it. I, I don't feel it's worth doing the research on this one because I think there's other better ones out there that you can kind of look at. Um, and again, we mentioned uh, three today. Uh, ADM got to be concerned on. I'm going to say 3M got to be concerned on. I robot. I, I un, un, unfortunately, actually, I robot is not even worth it at all. Right. So. Oh, that, that, that's a closing bell already. Shoot. Okay. Well, 
thank you for listening to Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purpose only and should not be used as an investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-224-0004. Again, that's 858-224-0004. Be sure to listen to the podcast. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. Again, that's smartinvesting2000.com. Again, you can listen to the podcast there. Also to that, that workshop coming up Thursday, February 8th. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week on the Smart Investing Show. To think that I did all that And may I say